0: <laughs> Three, two, oh, one. Yeah. okay, no, 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 we are live, we are live already. Hey guys, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Culture Minus Sanskar Unscripted. We were calling it uh, India Unscripted. We realized how stupid that is and how dumb the whole thing sounds because we already are called Culture Minus Sanskar, so why not just retain the name? So from now on, we... Uh, rename it to culture minus sanskar unscripted and this is uh episode number five if i'm not mistaken uh yes, yeah, five. My uh, great friend best friend uh only friend sandeep uh, with me here what's up sandeep and we have been uh, we've been trying to figure out what to and what not to speak about because sometimes we really sort of go uh all across the board and we don't know where exactly to land up. And we were like, okay, it'd be a good idea to have some sort of a theme to this whole thing. Because a lot of friends have been actually Sandeep telling me that, you know, hey guys, come on, man, you just cannot be so indulgent that you just keep talking about whatever the fuck you want. So maybe, maybe, maybe there is a theme to this. I don't know. But just before the start yeah. of this podcast, uh, he and I were discussing about this uh, influencer by the name, uh, the wandering kamya uh, Yeah. And how, how, how she sort of, uh, this, this is, uh, half British, half Indian girl who broke down on Instagram about the Hindu phobia, uh, in India. And I think her, her idea of, uh, of, uh, and she's like a spiritual wanderer, so to speak. That's why the wandering is not the physical wandering. It's more like the mental wandering. Right. We, call them hippies or? we don't call them hippies anymore. We call them influencers. Call them, yeah. That's that's call them travel bloggers. So, of course so the wondering come stick is that she she goes to all these native uh native land. i don't even know what native lands are and she goes to talk to these indigenous people and she'd go to mexico she'd go to africa and all those places and talk about uh, uh that particular culture and when i say she talks about that particular culture that means she poses half naked uh with some beads in her hair and color on her eyes and uh talks about the spiritual energy that sort of permeates the universe or some shit like that. Whatever, man, I don't know. So she was crying about the other day about like the Hindu phobia in India and sort of uh, sort of makes me think about uh, how a lot of it it makes me think about two things essentially, right? Like how Indianness sometimes uh, gets defined by uh, two sets of people. One is the diaspora, the people from the Indian diaspora from across the world Like especially the you know like the Western world, which is the Canadians, the Americans, the Australians. Australians not uh, are not Western, but yeah, Yeah, they are Western. Western, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and the British and like the Indians from these countries are sort of really like to own up the culture for some reason. And then there is a second batch of people who are like the uh, the 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 Western the Westerners who have come to India and they like to see India in their own light, right? Like all these uh, vice journalists and. uh, and like guys like uh, joseph Campbell and uh, and sandeep was talking about max Mueller. so we were like okay like it seems to us that the the, the narratives present in the world uh, about indianness are actually coming from these two sources and like what the fuck right because uh, how could you just look at everything from that lens am i even making sense to you right now sandeep because uh, wondering Khamer's, uh and you guys got to go check it out on twitter she, it's it's there somewhere she took it down after that uh, but her her breakdown was insane. She went all like, "Oh my God, people! You cannot just hate on Indians like that. Hindu phobia is real. It's, it's real." And and I was like, "This is just funny to watch." I'm sure there is some. Hindu- so there was an element
1: of Hindu phobia amongst the Hindus also, right? In her in her breakdown.
0: I, I, I don't know how to define it, man. She, but I I I wasn't really listening also, actually. I was just like looking at I was like, what the fuck shit this looks so fake. So it it, <laughs> it, it just went it just went pretty crazy. So yeah. And and, and then, then the Twitter sort of erupted and uh, I'm not on Twitter, but I have this anonymous account which I just used to access these possible. kind of things. So, yeah. <laughs> just for these kind of things, right? <laughs> And uh, I was like, uh, "Fuck, man!" Like the Indian community, is sort of um, in USA and UK, sort of goes crazy about these kind of things. And and when I say the communities, means I mean like twenty or thirty influencers who who sort of like to uh, cater to. They a, bring their
1: uh, they bring their tribes along.
0: They bring the tribes along. I was going they're to say target market around. Yes, I was going to say that TV okay. not, Yeah, to, to sell to their people, right? So yeah, that's TV's what I. are
1: influencers. Yeah. And the tribes are TGs now. <laughs> okay.
0: That, that's how it's. For seems. people
1: who don't know yeah. what TG is, TG is basically marketing lingo for target groups.
0: Target groups are the people you speak to, right? So, uh, yeah. for example, uh, give me give me a good example of target groups, uh, Sandeep. Like, uh, if, you're know, I mean, Shah, uh, if you're Amit Shah, if you're Amit you're talking to Mandir enthusiasts.
1: I I will I'll just talk as a if if I were make, if I was making candy. I was a manufacturer of candy.
0: Spoken like a. My target group market would be
1: group. kids. <laughs> if I was Amit Shah, well, it would depend on the season.
0: Uh, if you were Michael Jackson,
1: your target group would be kids too. <laughs> I, that's what I was wondering. Like, you know, the minute I was like, am I walking into something here? It just, it's so wrong nowadays <laughs> to even reference kids, man. It's just. It's yeah, so sad. It's, it is but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I guess if you're. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's, why is this funny, man? This is not funny. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, going back to wandering uh, Kamya. Yeah. So, so tell me something. Uh, so she she had a breakdown on Twitter, is it? She had a breakdown on Instagram and she took the video down.
0: And uh, I, I think why, why did she take the
1: video down, though?
0: I think because she got a, like a lot of flack from real Indians who were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?"
1: <laughs> when you say real Indians, you mean Indians from the Janma Bhumi, Karma Bhumi of Bharat, is it?
0: Yes, I mean. Uh, People from Ayodhya, people from Uttar Pradesh, people from people uh, from India, basically. Essentially. Not the NRIs. NRIs would have lapped
1: that shit up, right? I'm exactly.
0: So that's what I wanted to come to. It's a very interesting phenomenon for me, right? Yeah. Because uh, NRIs seem to like take the shittiest uh, and the most superficial Indian ideas. And they the thing is, they run with it. And not only do they run with it, I'm okay with them running with it. As it's completely fine by me. I mean, you do your you do you, right? But then they make it commercial. And they sell that hmm. shit. And they sell the shit as if it's like the true Indian shit there is. I know some people, I think if I'm not mistaken, unless I'm horribly, horribly off the mark and which I can be sometimes, but uh, I saw this uh, NRI is trying to say that you cannot wear t-shirts with gods on them and you cannot wear all these uh, beads and a Hari Ombala bracelets and all because you're appropriating Indian culture. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Has has anybody ever asked you that in India? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like is
1: that uh co opting shit, is it?
0: Yeah, some shit like that. Like uh yeah. cultural appropriation, right? Like you can my cultural culture is not my, my, my culture is not your yeah, yeah, fashion, yeah, yeah. right? And okay, I'm like you, you cannot yeah, yeah. I'm like <laughs> balls. It is of course everybody's everybody's culture is everybody's fashion, right? Like what are you talking about? Do those
1: Hindu gods on t-shirts look so cool, man.
0: They look amazing. Especially
1: those like, it's, it's just weird. I, I so saw trippy. a guy
0: I saw a guy with a Shivji ka t-shirt or like the blue t-shirt and I was like,
1: uh, oh, like yeah.
0: Because it's, also yeah. and how many it's, have, it's awesome yeah. and how many of us have grown uh, I,
1: Rudraksha? I, 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 and... I, I, yeah, Rudraksha is so cool. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I think I just think Hindu culture is kind of cool sometimes. I mean, Indian culture in general, like all the symbols, motifs, they're so, uh, so rad. Like Tantric Buddhist stuff is like crazy, dude. We have like people head heads bursting in flames and shit and they say, oh, he's He's enlightened. So exactly. that's why his head is on fire. <laughs> so it's so cool. It's like one of those things. But and, but you know, and, and the thing is. And nobody is, tells
0: you in India that, right? That don't wear this and don't wear that. They're like, no, nobody care.
1: cares. Nobody cares.
0: What's the Ha. Cool, bro. So, exactly. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but these exactly. fuckers, they seem to be extra sensitive to these kind of things. And that's also because. I don't know why, it actually. The, the, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. a reason for that. The, is that? Yeah.
1: I, it's so, you, okay, like, so 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 let's break it down. So so she she had to take down her post, uh, mainly because I think the Indians just like you know gave it to her basically. Yeah, yeah She yeah. faced a lot of like Indians from India land, okay, and the Indians from the rest of the world they sort of bought into her in a way, and maybe the Westerners also were like, oh, there is something called as Hinduophobia. It's so sad. And so for that is that, is that am I mean is that what happened? It's
0: it's 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 close to that. It's close to that. Uh I think pretty much anybody with a bit of common sense saw that uh she was just uh bullshitting everybody. Okay. Uh what now I did not I did not go and check how many of the people who were uh you know commenting over there were essentially uh, you know, like How many of them were like, you know, NRIs or some shit like that. But if you go to her other Mm -hmm. posts and I spent exactly one hour and I'm ashamed of it, but I did and I I don't follow her or anything, but I spent an hour just trying to figure out what this whole thing is all about. And on the posts where she says that, you know, you cannot be using Indian symbols and stuff like that without knowing them and all that stuff. uh, You would see comments by, again, these, these diaspora Indians like Monica Dogra and all, right? Like, yes, I think about this so much. And, you know, like I agree. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? like chill the fuck so not out giving any
1: respect to the culture just because yeah, you use a exactly. trident and does whatever <laughs> yeah.
0: so so it's it's one of those things and you know why they're doing it you know why they're doing it because uh, obviously it builds a brand and uh, anybody who mm. sort of understands like the first thing about branding uh mm. will say that you know the whole idea is to sort of radicalize or polarize your target market and say you know i am an american indian who really believes in a the Indian cause I'm going to live in America forever. I'm never, never really going to come down and live in uh, Hyderabad or, or Vidharba or any <laughs> of those places, right?
1: Most of them are from Hyderabad actually. I don't know why <laughs> from EP, but yeah, all the engineers, so
0: they will never do that. But, uh, uh, the path that they will obviously do the, the thing, the path that they will take is obviously the path of, uh, criticizing anybody who even likes Indian culture and, uh, Tries to emulate it by wearing the clothes or by singing the songs or whatever. Everything is cultural appropriation. It's just it's kind of dumb. It's just like one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. So yeah, I don't understand that. I don't know why. They, uh,
1: why like um, the Indian diaspora outside of India? There's they're more desi than us, yeah. In a way, it's just so. I I'm, I my guess would be the fact that you know most of them are probably first generation, second generation immigrants, so to speak, right? And um, Most of them right now, at least, would probably be the generation that is naturalized by way of birth, at least in these kind of countries. Their sense of insecurity from a cultural identity point of view would be quite insane in a melting pot, like, say, America or maybe even Canada now, the way it's evolving. So I'm not calling, I'm not going to call out UK because that's practically South Asian now. Right, but but in 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 the U.S. in the U.S. and maybe Canada to some extent, where this kind of narrative is very very strong, very very prevalent, this kind of branding, these kind of cults that are coming up. The way they denounce how we use our symbols and motifs, and it's really nobody's nobody's business, right? It's, it's we are free to do whatever we want with these things. I think it's more of a chest thumping, uh, protectionist hunkering down. You know, uh, it, it's sort of. Cements their identity in that chaotic, multicultural kind of society. Thing
0: it makes them stand out, right? Like, what are you going to do? It, it makes
1: them stand out, and and they, they they themselves feel like they belong to something, some cause, in a land where they're kind of born confused, right? That the whole stereotype of American-born confused see was a big syndrome in the 90s, and uh, to some extent, that probably is still prevalent. And you know, just 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 think about this. I mean, there are certain movements like Iscon, which is way more popular in the US. Then uh, the, in India, I mean, India, you have multiple movement This is just one of them. But in the U.S., it's they are extremely popular. Why is that? I, I don't understand why why that is. But see, the thing is, it, I think I think these these uh, these this kind of a diaspora, right, which exists outside the con- outside the country, they somewhat share the same uh, 1800s, 1900s white man's view of South Asia. You know, the whole Orientalist kind of a framework, that worldview where it's a very exotic it's kind of It's a colorful culture. It's
0: so old. Colorful My culture. God, and so old.
1: Yeah. So they, they buy into the narrative and then they feel threatened and then they, and they want to like sort of protect it. Like they are the pallbearers of these symbols that exist in this land, completely disregarding 1.3 billion people who exist here who are protecting it or whatever. I mean, they are completely immersed it. in that culture. From They're living it. We're, we're basically living it. I mean, no matter what religion you believe in and everything, Come Eid, come uh, come Christmas, come whatever, come Diwali, you are going to be living it in some way or the other. Whether you believe in that uh, the religion or not, whether you believe in that those cultural uh, celebrations, festivities or not, you're going to be living it. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely... Uh, I, I think it's I think it's stupid. It doesn't do us justice. 1.3 billion Indians don't know how to protect their own culture. Is that what you're talking about? Just because you think that someone would have tried it somewhere on the bracelet or something. And they are like, that's, you're not showing respect to the how how ridiculous is that? The very fact that a trident has actually travelled all the way across the seas uh, into the U.S. The way it has itself is a mark of some strength. You don't have to protect anything; it's doing well on its own. The whole point of Hinduism, anyway, was in the sense that Hinduism, well, Hinduism because the problem is it's so it's, it's like a cultural melting pot of its in itself, right? When it comes to philosophies, it's just sort of this huge massive amoeba which just, just sucks in all the philosophies. So you will have. If, if you want to bring in a Sufi element, you'll have it in Hinduism somewhere, some pocket somewhere in the country, celebrate something that is an amalgamation of all these beliefs and stuff. Those people outside don't understand this about India, which is kind of, it's kind of weird, it really is kind of weird. No, and no, no, no one's really chest thumping about Indian Buddhism outside, I don't know why, or Jainism, <laughs> I mean, it's not that, not that prevalent. It's just, you know, Shiva, if you to Shiva, it's really that's, stupid. I think this Kama girl also is probably having the same orientalist exotic. Oh, I'm from this culture, you know, and it's my duty to protect it. And sort of gives her, lends her identity amongst various other identities. And the thing is, in the Western world, it's not just religious and cultural identities, right? It's also the racial identity. It's a multiple other elements that in India we probably don't discuss beyond casteism, beyond <laughs> that casual casteism. Us, we don't right? really yeah. Yeah. That pretty much does it. Beyond for casual.
0: This <laughs> is. It's low but key
1: that. and ah. we're living it.
0: Ah. <laughs> so it's like you go five kilometers outside the city. Kaun jaat like depending on that, you'll get your tea in a either in a glass uh, cup or yes, exactly. that's, that's crazy, man. That's just fucked up and it's uh weird. actually
1: tell you, this anecdote I think I've shared with you, but I'd like to share it on the podcast also. Like it's so it's really crazy this uh the way is just sort of it's I don't know, it just takes up this mind frame, right? It's a cultural mind, it's so well entrenched. When I was doing sales in uh, uh, Rajasthan, I was invited to my uh, sales officer's house for some chai, okay, and his uh, his family was there. I sat down, the minute I put my back down, uh, his mother comes in and she gives me some water. And uh, just, just before she's giving me water, she asked me, how are you, are you fine, and all that stuff, then uh, Brahman, no? <laughs> okay. I was like, uh, huh. <laughs> and then, you know, I got, I got chai I also served chai and everything. And it was, it was a nice, nice evening. And I left and everything next day. So the sales officer was like, see, because you're a Brahmin, you were given special treatment in my house. And he happened to be a Rajput in Rajasthan. That is,
0: that is, what are
1: the odds of that? that is, so anyway, that is, so he was, really, like, he was like, apparently I was served in like special cutlery. You did not know about I this, mean, did you? I, I had no idea. How do and, I know? And I you did happened? not think like was,
0: about it before that. Like there, there were no apparent other other signs that, uh, you know, like these guys no, are giving you really. differential treatment.
1: No, no, no. actually. see this see in, in Bombay when we were raised, right? Largely, at least we were sort of insulated, even in terms of politics, like student politics is not very big in Bombay. It's, not, it's a little chill. You, you just, you're just worried about that uh, local, which will leave at like 1025. If you don't make that, you will not make class. And it's sweaty, it's hot monsoons, what have you. Bomb blasts, those days, it was pretty bad in Bombay, right? And uh, no one really talks about Airoly these kind of things, minute-, early, yeah. <laughs> minute of silence for that. But anyway, so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those, those trains from Thane to really shitty places, like hard life and everything, no one really talks about these things. Unless you go further up into Thane or maybe you're really like involved in politics for some odd reason. The minute I left Bombay, I went to UP, I went to the North, especially. Um, it is, man, it's in your face. They just ask you on your face, like, are you a Brahmin? And I found it so odd. Like, I didn't ask them back. Like, what are you? I didn't ask them back because it's, it just didn't come naturally to me, right? It's so weird. Even in the South, I mean, it's in the South. So in the North, you will find like, if you're a Brahmin, they have special love for you for some reason. But if you go to Tamil Nadu, when you say you're a Brahmin, there'll be some contempt at the very least. Oh, really? It's very strange. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Tamil Nadu was that's the whole reason DMK came up, right? In Tamil Nadu. I mean, it was on the back of the 60s when Karunanidhi started his not Karunati, there was someone else before him, but he was sort of like the protege, I think, and he, he took up the cause of DMK. DMK Tamil means Dravid, Monitran something, something, which basically means the Dravid Progressive Alliance or something like that. Okay. And it was built on the back of an anti anti-Brahmin kind of a pro-Dravidian anti-Brahmin narrative.
0: I want to look this up. What is DMK? Uh,
1: the full form. Yeah, right? Dravid- Go on. Please don't
0: pronounce
1: it. <laughs> I've already I've already murdered it. We don't need a North Indian murdering Tamilian like pronunciation.
0: It's a Dravida Munithra Kazagam. No,
1: the, it's not even Kazam. It's K- Karagam. It's probably Karagam. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not rolling it right. Karagam. Okay. So. Okay. so okay. Apologies. And then that and that then Jairitha. No, Again, uh, the, the famous actor. I forget his name. M That's- G. Or something like that. One one of the, those guys they come and it becomes all India. Dravid Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, both of them are like anti Brahmin, pro dravid That's how it, that's how it started in the 60s, and then it sort of evolved into things. So there was a massive anti Brahmin backlash in Tamil Nadu to some extent. So it, there's always some amount of contempt in the South for the Brahmins because they believe that you know, or power struggles and stuff. But in the north it's still like the Pandithoa.
0: You know, so enormous, kind of I'll thought. give you, I'll give you a very, very interesting, uh, story about this. I, I don't know if I've ever told you, but my, my dad was, uh, my dad was in the sense, my dad is still around, but he's retired now. So he was in the railways and, uh, my dad used to be on the goods train. So goods train are the ones that have chalice Dibba and they go from like, you know, like one part of the country to another. And more than once in a while, these trains would stop, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, because the train stop in the middle of nowhere, I'm talking about middle of nowhere, which is uh, the heartland of India, which is Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, places like these. So there are places India's like wild west, huh? India's wild west, Dhanbad, uh, there's Orcha, oh. there is Lalitpur, there is Bina, there is Babina, there is Chansi. Uh, there is Banda, all these places in North Did India. you say Babina? Yes. Babina? Yeah, Bina Babina. Okay. okay, there are two stations. Bina Babina. Yeah. Uh, so these, okay. and, 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 and a lot of these areas, uh, lie around, uh, lie around the Chambalghati and Chambalghati is mm. obviously like for anybody, for the uninitiated uh, Chambalghati is where like, you know, Pansing Singh Tomar is set in and all these Dakuwala movies, even from the bygone era are set in. So Chambalghati used to be this uh, place where Indian bandits used to be and to a large extent still live there. And there are these huge uh, mounds where they have made I think the, Shole was sort of
1: like Shole was also in the whole idea, of be, also was sort of model, right? It was
0: supposed to be that, but not quite that. Like Chambal Gahati has a very distinctive look. Sure. Yeah, it's a very distinctive oh. look. It's 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 literally like a bad land. Okay, so in Shole at least you can see some Khetiwadi wadi happening. The Chambal is like a bad mm-hmm. land. That's what it looks like, and uh, and it's crazy out there. It used to be like a wild west in a way. And I know there's a comedian called Agri Mo Joshua. Who recently got rape threats because she made a joke, right? So she's from Uttar Pradesh and she made a fantastic comparison on this. She said Uttar Pradesh is like the Texas of India, and uh, I don't think she was too far off because it was literally like one of those places. It is one of those places where outlaws can still sort of you know command that fear. Now mm-hmm. the story happened with my father. Uh, he was in one of he, my dad was a guard. So 40 jipba chhodke, ek mein there is the, like the pilot or the the, what do you want to call it? The driver of the train, uh, along with like driver. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a railway term called pilot. Also. Are they called pilots, though? They're not called really? pilots, no, they, but there's a term oh. in railways called pilots. I don't know what exactly it means though. However, oh, okay. however, however, my, my father is basically like 40, the bus behind and, uh, hmm. and these trains, unless they get a signal, they cannot move ahead. So if your train is stopped hmm. in Chambal, it'll probably stop in Chambal for like eight or nine hours. Okay or sometimes for two days or sometimes for a day. And I'm talking about the seventies and the eighties. Okay. So, wow. and the early nineties to an extent. So that's how long these trains will stop. Now this back in the nineties, there used to be a really feared one of the last outlaws of that area called the Dua. The Dua was shot down. I think some 15 years ago by the police. The Dua was like a proper Shit. bandit, like a savage, uh, like, like a pansing Tomar, but like uh, more brutal in a way. And the Dua, uh-huh. He my like my dad is sort of having his lunch in his diba, and like it's like some time in the noon and and uh, Daduwa just walks in with his men and he's in my dad's cabin in the middle of nowhere in the middle of Chambal and um, he goes God or station And my dad is like what the fuck, like because these guys have their guns and shit, right? They have the freaking uh, like and, and everything, and it's crazy, right? Uh however, he asked my father, what's his full name is. Right. And my dad actually like tells him that he's a Brahmin, right? Like he's, you can, uh, you easily know that his, So you're a Brahmin. So the, he just uh, started treating like the most feared bandit of the time <laughs> started treating the guy. He almost held hostage and like with a different sort of reverence. He's like, okay, okay, then don't worry. We will not bother you too much. You can sit and we will, you just drop us over there. Don't worry about it. And all his men also became really polite. And I was like, this is just fucked up, right? Like, this is fucked up. I mean, that's just like one story. Imagine being a freaking uh, a guy with name like uh, Atif mohammed or some stuff like that. Dude, these fuckers would fucking rip into you, right? I mean, yeah, I mean I every time these idiots... Uh, Every time these idiots say things like uh, Hindu phobia and all, I'm like, pause. You have to understand how good we have it, and it's it's unbelievable how it's still carried out in parts of this country. And this is just one example, man. I mean, these guys were like the bandits in North India were known to be nice to the Brahmins and all. So like, like even through the outlaws, you got a preferential treatment. <laughs> that's insane, for me, that's right? just Insane.
1: That's basically you're know, like. Uh you're God almost, right? You're, yeah, you're almost you a God. You have the God. of God okay? yeah, yeah, in their eyes. And it's still carried to this day. I'm 100% sure to this day that that thing still exists. Of course it the exists. casual, we, yeah, we yeah. call it casual custom. But it's actually not that casual. So I'm wondering if Wandering kamya knows about this bit. And she wonders if there's Hindu phobia right now. because yeah, Wandering kamya knows if, something if, called
0: if exists. Hinduism,
1: yeah. And through this example, we, we just know that like if ever Hinduism was at its peak, in the last hundred years, this is probably the period. There's no Hindu phobia anywhere in India, so there's no is, point crying about this right now. Is, is there a random
0: it, shit ever? And there are more stories. Like, like, yeah. I mean, there are multiple stories, and I, I sort of keep coming up with them. I guess every time I uh, like. As in when it come up, like, yeah. I, every time something triggers <laughs> that sort of story, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, look up the guy. His name just, was Dadua. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Shall I do it right now? No,
0: like, no, no. But like one of the most badass names of all time.
1: Dadua. Dadua. Like, oh, Jesus. Shiv Kumar Patel, also known as. He has a Wikipedia page, dude. Chitrakoot. He died in Chitrakoot. Shiv Kumar Patel, also known as Dadua, uh, was a notorious dacoit. Uttar Pradesh or Madhya Pradesh. Yeah, there. See, there's Jesus. a border.
0: That's where these trains are like mostly stuck.
1: Yeah, Karvi. Kharvi
0: is a place, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, so, this is insane. Yeah, these, these, I mean, the, the most famous of all these Dakus was a Daku called Daku Singh, who again uh, was one of the most famous bandits uh, of uh, North India. And Chitrakoot, by the way, has like a histor, like a special place in uh, the history, because uh, Chitrakoot, I think, is the place where uh, one of your big poets comes from. Tulsidas, I think, is from Chitrakoot. If I'm not mistaken, Tulsidas is from. Oh, that's there, interesting. There is a there is a there is a there is a saying. Uh, there's a saying in Hindi. It's, it goes this way, unless I'm massacring it. But I think I, Chitrakoot uh, ke ghat par lage santan ki bheed Tulsidas tika kare Chandan kise ragubir. So it literally talks about the ceremony wow. where Tulsidas is doing it, right? And it's on Chitrakoot ka ghat. So. <laughs> It's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy land. It's a crazy uh, place to be it's in. Uh,
1: yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like you know, for us there was no gold rush. There was just uh, alluvial plains and those farmlands and lands okay, And that place is uh, where everyone just landed up. And crazy amount of minerals and like you have coal, you have I don't know what all you have. Like it's insane. That that area is so rich it was only natural that they would it would become the wild west right it still is in so many ways i'm sure though i'm sure i, I mean in 2030 years it'll improve but i don't think people will still be confident to just travel through the hinterland. i don't know they, i don't know if that was a no. feeling like, when i was a kid we went to we went to uh, bodh gaya now i remember there was a certain amount of apprehension when we traveled from patna to bodh gaya it was uh, it was a brutal 9 hour drive even though it was like hardly any distance And there was a fear, like you know, will it be safe? We have to like leave at like six o'clock in the morning so that we make it at least by uh, you know, sundown. We can't be traveling at night and stuff like that. I don't know if that kind of fear still exists in UP Bihar and all that. I don't know. Not sure. It
0: does. It does. It does. Remember, we were talking about the kabutre in the first podcast. They're they're still active, right? Yeah, definitely. They're definitely very active, and uh, and 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 a lot of uh, activities are definitely very very uh, prevalent in, uh, in those parts of the country, they're harsh yeah. areas. They're very, very rich in general, but they're also harsh. If you know what I mean? They're like the, the mm. sociologically, they're pretty harsh because uh, yeah. I think it's got something to do with this sort of casteism. Obviously the stratification is says that not everybody gets a share of, uh, the kind of resources generated. I mean, you yeah. know what I mean, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, but yeah. it's a very, very, uh, because once you, okay, here's the thing. Once you, once you start. Traveling by road from, the, you know, from Madhya Pradesh, and then you go into Uttar Pradesh, and you see a bit of Uttaranchal. And if you're traveling northwards, and you realize, like, you're in that Gangetic plain, right, into a Gangetic plain. And if you're traveling by bus or something, and we sort of ignore the pollution, and if you ignore the population, and if you ignore the, like, the kind of sh- uh, shit show that goes on over in that area for some time, you also see how green that place actually is, and how brilliant the land is, right, and how rich in general. And then you would think about all these barbers of the world and all these uh, Nadish shahs of the world and you know all these fuckers who came to this country and sort of took away the stuff. I mean, obviously they did that because uh, this was one of the richest lands there was. And I know you and I have discussed about this because you look at the place and you're like, oh, imagine this place 1,000 years ago. Imagine this place 600 years ago. It would have been green as fuck. Yeah, it's pristine. It's got mm, the Ganga yeah. River, which is not polluted by the... And all these invaders come
1: from these lands where like Uzbekistan none, of the, none and of all, yeah. Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, it's like dry deserts. I mean, it's they like fucking eat ice and far. rocks
0: in Uzbekistan for. A while. <laughs> it's like I don't know, man. They eat it's pomegranates, crazy. and that's pretty much it. But uh, I mean, of course, you look at that land, and you're like, of course, that's a bountiful place. I'm gonna go and invade it. I mean, I mean, that's the reason the.
1: Settled in those places. They settled I mean, in
0: those places. That's the reason I think Native okay. Americans were not uh, you know, going to the European borders and saying, Fuck you, we want to take all your land because there is no land to take. We already have our land. It is beautiful and pristine and bountiful, yeah, yeah. right? The same same yeah. analogy applies over here because you have your North India, uh, which is just and it is a beautiful part of the world. It's one of the more beautiful parts of the world, actually. Once you get rid of the politics and everything aside, take away the like, smoke screen.
1: Take away all the yeah, all the,
0: yeah, you, you, you take a you take a bus from uh, there's a place called Majnuka Teela in Delhi. Uh, you take a bus from Majnuka Tila to uh, Manali, which is like an overnight journey or sometimes like a day journey, and you start seeing the landscape change. But what you see the most is like the trees, the 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 the, the landmass, which is just full of uh, farms and great rivers, and like the Bias River and all. It's just fucking beautiful, man. So, I mean which is just very strange for me how we have led to this decline of that 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 part of the world which is just like like how incompetent do you have to be or how much exploitation there has to be done for that part to go from like you know why else would like a fucking akbar or any other king would live there or why would a like you know like why would a chandragupta like long time ago, 2,300 years ago or 400 years ago uh, would want to go to Magadha of all the places to sort of establish a kingdom. These places were freaking heavens. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it takes I mean, it takes a bit of British It takes the, a bit of,
1: part of a over party, but, right?
0: I'm not sure. They fought in mm. Kurukshetra which is uh, which they is again something yeah. which is something you see on the way to uh, on your way to Manali. Mm. Okay. Mm. But But for me, it's just like, okay, so how much did we get fucked by the British and how much things got fucked after the independence by the, like by the people over here itself, to sort of take that place from one of the most prosperous regions in the world to like a ruin. I mean, that's just, it's just like bad right now.
1: I mean, we just, we got, we got fucked because we got plundered, but we got plundered even socioculturally by the British and everyone. Right. And that's, that's like a nice segue to go back to Kamya. Yeah, that it's that was... whole, the, the Britishers what they did was, I think we explored in one of our video essays. It was the power of names.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, one of the first
1: ones. Yeah. Yeah. For those that are listening, you should check out our video essay channel, Culture Minus Sanskar on YouTube. Uh, there's a video called power of names in which uh, we actually explored how the Britishers in order to gain control of our cultural mind, they thought of destabilizing it and, you know, distancing it from us in many ways. And one of the ways they did that was to adopt a certain Orientalist view towards our culture, which is also in a way inspired, I'm assuming it has inspired even Kami in many ways. They said, oh, you know, this place is exotic, it's pristine and everything. But at the same time, it's heathen. And uh, there were a lot of random interpretations uh, and, and in, 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 a, in a larger sense, it was almost derogatory because though they were eventually written by you know Christian overlords of many, many ways in the intellectual world. So all these orientalists like Max Muller and all these other intellectuals, if you read some of their work from the 1800s, 1900s, where they've actually documented our culture and our way of being, Indians of uh, Indians or the Hindus, okay, have have been they're literally labeled as dark-skinned buggers or you know um, heathen heathens, basically the heathens, and heathens is actually a it's an extremely derogatory term consider the context in which it was written those days because the Christian worldview was that if you don't follow the Word of God uh, you're basically an infidel in many ways and you're you you basically you are your heretic in some some sense and you you will never you will never attain salvation so that's the that's the whole uh, the worldview in many ways that actually what it did was it raised a certain so their, 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 their modus of uh, education, sort of raised a certain intellect intellectual class in India that started to look at our heathen culture as being something that is backward and regressive. that's and at their, at and their own think, people basically like the people who yeah. came up uh, the so the idea of
0: so I yeah. to sort of yeah. understand it correctly the people who came up started to look at the people uh, who are their people as uh, like the heathen class so if i am educated yeah, now class. if i am an educated man now mm. ed- educated indian i don't consider myself as one of the indians anymore i'm like fuck those guys yeah. i am more like a british guy
1: yeah that's yeah. exactly what it is and the, and the problem is they they were also cursed class in many ways because they were never really uh, treated equally even by the oh uh, there is say, a fantastic
0: uh, not a fantastic a very tragic actually story about this uh, who was the founder of uh, aligarh university uh, sayyid ahmed khan Oh, and Sayyid Ahmed Khan's son, uh,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I forgot the gentleman's name. He was uh, a civil servant uh, during the, he was a civil servant during the the British era. And uh, during huh? that era, what was his thing? What was his stick? Yeah, he came back from England. I'm- no, he, he became a civil servant. He came back from uh, England. No, no, he was a judge and he came back to India. And when he came back, he was actually given different quarters and he was not allowed to mingle with the British in the parties. So there were two things that happened. He was actually, if I'm correcting this, if I'm getting this correct, he was actually, uh, disowned by his own people because obviously he had become British, He's, he'd become more yeah. British and he was obviously mocked by the British because, uh, he was like a second grade, uh, officer, even though he had like done all these. Crazy things, passed the civil services exam, gone there, became a brilliant judge. But multiple times his judgments were revoked by judges who were white, basically. There's no better word to put it. And and eventually he committed, he did not commit suicide, but he sort of became a drunkard. Like a brilliant, brilliant guy sort of became a drunkard and was driven to, either he was driven to suicide or he sort of died because of some sort of alcohol poisoning at a very young age, like 40, 45 or something like that. And this is just one of the examples, and it's like for me a very, very sobering indication of how these guys treated you if you were uh, in their ranks.
1: Yeah. Something similar to what happened to Mahatma Gandhi, right?
0: Oh well, that's like a yeah, but that dude, what he did was he he took the insult and he he took it like I'm gonna fuck you guys, I'm gonna fuck you up like proper, (laughs) right? I'm gonna fuck you up Satyagraha style.
1: He was also pissed off that uh, he was actually grouped with the blacks in a way. So he was oh, like, yeah, that's, different
0: that's from the blacks. Yeah, 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 Gandhi that's has it. like a very uh, crazy legacy and it's a, uh, he was uh, a doc like he was running the, doing the Boer Wars, right? I think in 1898 or something, he was uh, running these uh, cops, which were taking care of the Africans, the indigenous African uh, tribes, which is the Zulu people, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a bunch of them. Yes. Zulu might be one of them. Zulu was, were one of them. And the British at the same time. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you uh, medically. And I'm not going to participate in this war. So like his... his Hindi, uh, there is like, literally means that uh, like when your son is in the cradle, you get to know how he's going to behave when he grows up. So you could see Gandhi's... Uh, so there was this political cradle, so to speak, and uh, mm-hmm. and as he grew up, he sort of took that policy. I'm going to take everybody with me and I'm going to move ahead uh, uh, in an inclusive way, so to speak, as long as it's not blacks.
1: <laughs> blacks and a couple of others also he had a problem with. Basically, he was like, we are not indentured labelers and, you know, Indians are better, basically. That was his uh, thing, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I'm... Are you going to subscribe to Wandering Kami? Want to follow her? I think I'm going to follow her. It's interesting. It's a character.
0: It's a character for sure. She man. might have another
1: breakdown.
0: There's another guy on uh, on 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 Instagram who's again uh, whom we already follow. I think his name is Guru Zorba. Check him out.
1: Guru Zorba. Achha. No, I'll check him out. That I'll was like out. another I'm character.
0: Okay, shape. he's got a he's got a thing going on. He says. Uh, and like every image that he puts out right has the same caption <laughs> which is uh, when he was 22 years old guru zorba climbed the uh, came to india from canada uh, on a study mission and uh, what is it and decided that he wanted to stay back and search for enlightenment. Then he climbed the big mountain and met some guru. And since then, he's been helping others to gain enlightenment. Some shit like that. And this dude is like a crazy and wacky looking dude, okay? He's got this puggity, but he's also got this like bling uh, under that. And he's got like a three. He's wearing like a jacket, like a very crazy camel colored jacket. And, uh, <laughs> and and mostly the comments are from Indians like, <laughs> hey, guru setting like in Amira. And guru's like, <laughs> Please DM me. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is like crazy. It's it's just unbelievable. And oh, wow, I like
1: this characters, dude.
0: Yeah, he's got this. <laughs> he's got this crazy pagdi, which has got some diamond or some shit like that uh, encrusted in it. And yeah, man, like those And again, again, a Canadian who's now sort of residing in India or some shit like that, right? So oh, ah, yeah, has come back. Yeah. So.
1: I- we are back to these. Actually, if, you, if, you, if there are a couple of there are a couple of uh, Western intellectuals who went from India or the South, I mean the subcontinent, and they did a lot of good work. Actually, there's this guy called Ananda Kumar Swami. In the 1900s, uh, he was I think a Tamilian, or was he a Sri Lankan? Sri Lankan Tamil. He actually went to. He was based out of Boston. He was managing I think an a museum or something there, and he was he used to write these crazy. Uh, crazy crazy essays about indian culture symbolism uh, the stories behind them like he has a he has a fantastic uh, piece on the dancing shiva of how you know if ever there was a perfect perfect symbol that explains all of creation and all of its mysteries in one finite form it is the it is the symbol of Natraj dancing on the on the on, on the demon called apasmara Oh, really? So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic essay. I think it's some 15 pages or something. He's a crazy dude. He's like, he's one of these, uh, he, he probably set the base for Indology in some sense. And he, he gave it some respect because it, it wasn't coming from a Christian bias kind of, a uh, or, 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 or coming from a, the white man's perspective. He was one of us. He just went abroad. He he, he studied, uh, he studied in their system. He adopted their worldview. And he presented to them what he basically lived like us in India or in in Sri Lanka, wherever. So he was, he was like a, he was like a crazy dude, dude. He was, um, he, he wrote a bunch of, he he was, he wrote a bunch of uh, essays when he was with his, I think, French Canadian wife, second wife. And they were uh, on a boat in Dal Lake. And she was researching something about Mughal architecture and paintings and stuff. It's a crazy story. But uh, he... He has some amazing literature on um, on what Hindu culture is all about and symbolism and everything. And it's a very you, you know you sort of understand that okay every every symbol every motive sort of has a reason, everything has a reason. And he he, he would he would be some one of the few Western sort of intellectuals at least who I would listen and I I, I can read and I can be like okay there is some objective unbiased kind of opinions here. And uh, I think I think. He also inspired the likes of uh, Aldous Huxley and many other intellectuals who sort of uh, took on this new, like reverential kind of an outlook
0: to and Orientalism sincere.
1: or the South hmm? Asian. More, more sincere, much more, much more sincere. More, so th- they were like, you know what? These guys had it. They they knew what was coming, or they, they knew they had figured something out. It's just that the the previous guys like Max Müller and the like, they didn't, they couldn't understand it. But with Ananda Kumar Swami and a lot of other these other such in, intellectuals, right, they presented a certain view that was sort of easy for the Westerners to also understand that because there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity in our culture, right? There's so much even, complexity in even different visual like, languages. Even we don't get so many things. Like it's it's crazily layered. I don't know, it's so crazily layered. But a lot of them have actually demystified a lot of this for the Westerners. And in many ways, it it also I'm I'm, I'm assuming that even Joseph Campbell would have been sort of influenced by these kind of writings. Aldous actually has a beautiful monologue on uh, how the dancing Shiva actually um, has influenced him. And I think in his book, Island, he has gone deep into the the symbolism behind the, the image of Nataraja and he has, I think two or three poems also dedicated to Shiva in the novel of his. It's very, very interesting. And Island also happens to be highly recommended by someone like Jordan Peterson. Oh. So it's, it's, yeah, it's very, it's really interesting because Island also has a lot of Buddhist elements in it, at least in the starting monologues, because uh, it opens up to this surrealistic uh, environment where a man is in the forest and the birds just shout out to him, pay attention, attention, attention. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an extremely philosophical novel. I think you should just read it. I, I would urge even the, the viewers to read it. It's, it's something you, you don't read like in a span of one week. You sort of just blend into it, immerse in it. Take, take, take your time, take your time because it's, it's fantastic. So, Aldous actually was someone who was heavily influenced by Ananda Kumaraswamy who also started this sort of this philosophical movement called perennialism. So, it's, 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 quite, uh, it's, it's quite complex. It also has what some parallels reason? with the Theosophist movement. I am not, I'm not, I'm still, I'm also still reading into it. So, I think I'll just keep going, because I'm not really 100% sure. I can read out to you from like Wikipedia, but I'm not, I haven't internalized it to talk about it. So. Hmm. I think it's, 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 I think some, some amount of eternalist kind of philosophies and uh, hinging on eternity. So it's it's sort of what you would get with when you blend Vedantic philosophy with theosophist doctrines. And then you have this weird blend of metaphysics that come out of it. But uh, it's, it's, it's not that simple. Also, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's It's called perennialism. So yeah, I mean, these kind of guys, you know, these kind of guys, they have sort of and and people like Radha Krishna from India who have really brought about this, this this is a huge corpus of literature now that you can just dive into and you know that okay fine now Indian culture is worth something, it's about something, it's not just heathenism, it's not just idolatry, it's not something is blind you know, ritualisms, dogma, it's not like that. It's just there's this insane amount of philosophy is just layered into symbols in the physical world for the normal layman and laywomen to understand. But it's it's fascinating, and have, then you have the Ramanujans who have evolved through the late '90s and stuff. So it's it's fantastic. So I I wonder if wandering Kami has read these people, because then <laughs> she would know that. <laughs> 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 have you have she, you? Which will which, which in in the face of Hindu phobia? Oh shit! but the, There's a decline, bro. <laughs> it's probably like easily 1.1 billion across the world right now, and it's it's in decline, sure. <laughs> the way we breed. <laughs>
0: have you, have you, have you? Uh, you, you know, you like you have touched upon uh, symbols like twice, right? And uh, have you ever uh, had a chance to read uh, Carl Jung on talking about symbols and symbology in general? Because yeah, I mean, he was pretty I fascinated have. with the Indian symbols. I mean, I mean, honestly speaking, to be fair, I mean, he was fascinated with symbols from across the world, and India just happens mm. to be one of those ancient cultures which had just too many of them. And and uh, and uh, like he has a very very fantastic, I think, definition. Unless I'm very mistaken, uh, no, I'm not mistaken about this. I have a book somewhere over here. It's called The Man and His Symbols by uh, Freud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to my friend Yashlav who gave it to me on my uh, on on Secret Center. So, man and His symbols is basically it starts with uh, uh, he he distinguishes between uh, signs and symbols, and he says sign is hmm. something that you just uh, start out and it's like a visual representation and nothing more. So it's just like a hmm. visual element and that's a sign, right? And it can mean <clears> whatever you assign to it. Symbol, on the other hand. You cannot just assign a meaning to a symbol. Symbol has been around, and it has its uh, it has the meaning ingrained in it, uh, which you don't really get to choose. Like you cannot just take a cross uh, and start a Hindu nationalist party. You know what I'm saying? You cannot ascribe a different meaning to a cross, right? Or uh, or you cannot just take uh, like you know for example like uh, the the Nazi swastika. And uh, Mm. just go and start a humanitarian party because you will know that there is a meaning ingrained in it. And uh, that's, that's what he started off with. And I was like, that just really makes so much sense, which also means that there are so many symbols across the world, especially in India. And they all mean something very unique. And it's just very interesting to me how a lot of these symbols got their meaning and how these meanings come about over the course of like thousands and thousands of years of generations. So that for me is really interesting. So I was wondering if you've read anything about it ever.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have read, I have read some amount of Carl Jung. I actually read that book also man and the symbols. It has a lot of, um, it, it has, it has a lot of deep dive into dreams because Jung was extremely fascinated with how dreams was, was the source. Our dreams are the source of so many, um, uh, religious and spiritual symbols. And certain archetypical forms, images, narratives that sort of play out, right? Uh, and and it's almost transferred from into our subconscious from the unconscious we are right? That, that's basically the collective unconscious, which is which is which which some some intellectuals like I mean even we have called it like the cultural mind or the dharmic mind or whatever we want to call it. That information repository sort of just permeates the people of each culture. And they, without them knowing it, they're actually replaying all these images and they're replaying all these archetypical stories in them. And when Jung started talking to people and he started asking them to describe their dreams, that's when he realized that there was like a lot of Christians, right? They were actually replaying a lot of these symbols and these stories and biblical, ideas, narratives, yeah.
0: And yeah. Uh,
1: biblical ideas in many ways, right? And they were very young, so like a, seven, eight year old kids. Yeah, fascinating. and. So that is that is also so that, you know, that is that, that it's almost parallel to perennialism like I just hit, hit upon a little bit. I just hinted on that philosophy in the sense that there are some eternal truths. Okay, there are some eternal symbols that have been encoded in us from time immemorial. It's, for instance, the um, the idea of the snake the snake is just one of these uh, symbols the idea of the serpent rather the, now the serpent is also dangerous because of course of the venom that it um, that it can, like, it can bite and you know transfer to our bodies. It, it's a symbol of death in many ways. It's also a symbol of uh, the hidden unknown that can spring up on you in your garden, right? That's one of the elements. But the snake it's is also, also revered. It's also a phallic symbol, actually.
0: So
1: a snake would be also a phallic symbol, yeah, in, in many ways, yes, yes. I had a,
0: I had a yeah. crazy, crazy Especially dream last night. Snake, yeah. I had mm. a crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, this morning, I'll show you my Google history. And I, the first thing I did after waking up this morning was I looked up, what is it to see a Python in your dream? I saw two What's pythons, a uh, yellow, like sharp yellow colored pythons, both of them, one one devouring the other on the side of a road. And, and like in the dream, I was just cycling. And uh-huh. I was seeing, I was like, what is that? What is that? I like closer. I went, I saw two pythons and then one started devouring the other. And it's like swallowing, like pythons too, right? And it was like sharp yellow, like I have that thing just sort of etched into my mind right now.
1: Probably an albino kind of uh, python. Maybe
0: yeah, maybe one of those, right? And I have no huh. clue what that means because if you just go and do a simple Google search, that doesn't give you shit because they'll tell you all sorts of nonsense. Like yellow is the color associated with this, so this is what it means. I'm like, no, yeah. it doesn't mean that. That's bullshit. This, but
1: uh, yeah, you can't. You you need someone like a yung to decode it. Someone like a Jung in probably the Indian context decoded for you because you are in this current dharmic cultural mind, right? You are enmeshed in it in many ways. Yeah. But the, yes. serp- the serpent in the sense is like, you know, the serpent in the senses, um, it's, it's dangerous. It represents the unknown. Could be a phallic symbol, like you said, but it also is extremely important when it comes to uh, spiritual rebirth. The whole idea of how a serpent can shed its skin and take on another skin in a way, it's, it symbolizes uh growth, spiritual growth that symbolizes liberation, salvation, many other things. So uh it's 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 very it's very interesting these kind of symbols and I mean I I don't even know how we can even get deeper into this topic without like bamboozling people right now. It's crazy. Because you 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 have to like meditate on it for such a long time. Like I'll tell you what I'll give you my personal story with symbols at least of late because I've been influenced a lot by Carl Jung in many ways. And I've also been influenced by at least the biblical lectures of Jordan Peterson, right? Oh,
0: they're they're fucking and, uh,
1: brilliant. Yeah, it's 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 insane. And you suddenly I I I was I was educated for the longest time in a convent school, and we had a we had an amazing church in uh, it's Fatima High School. Shout out to Fatima High School, Vidya Vihar in Ghatkopar, Bombay. Uh, a really beautiful church, uh, glass paintings. I can never I can never forget the, ne- the next whole to Dadh
0: College, yeah.
1: Uh, is it next to Don Bosco College? No, no. Yeah. It is. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so close by. Yeah, Don Bosco College of Engineering. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There we are only right. Shout out to yeah.
0: Arvind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to everybody. Actually, Sunit, Arvind. Yeah. bunch of other people. Yes. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, but I never understood it. I never understood. So I, I bought the Holy Bible. I tried reading it. I didn't understand. I I couldn't get through Genesis. I was like, what is this? I don't understand. Right. And, but then something, something. So then, when I read, when I read the the power of symbols through Jung, through Umberto Eco, who happens to be a, a symbologist in many ways, he's a semiotician, semiotician. Okay, he's actually a he's actually an academic, but he writes his fantastic novels. Uh, through all their work and through even some some amount of MBA where I deep dive into anthropology and stuff like that, I just started to realize that you know the the whole symbol of Christ, the symbol of the cross, these are ex- extremely powerful individualistic motivators man like if you can understand that right you can get yourself out of some really tough shit and it has helped me personally at least to tide over some some dark times give
0: me an example and, uh,
1: for- see the thing is uh, okay so one example is uh, so the, the so there was uh, there was obviously um, a fallout let's just call it a fallout because i don't want to go too much into my private life but there was a fallout of types and it basically fucked my mind over. Okay, I was I was pretty much in the dumps, and um, there was no there was no silver lining anywhere. Okay, and I'm talking about months. I'm not even talking like days and stuff. I'm not talking about depression and stuff because that is that is something that I've learned to like cope with and stuff. It's it's not that big a deal. A lot of people make it a big deal. It's not, but uh, it it is a big deal if if you're like if, if depression is a problem, especially if you're medically proven, clinically proven. And if you don't have a support system, so if any, if again, I, so I, I would like to take back that statement because it's a, it, it might come across as a little insensitive because I understand the problem. And I know people who actually suffer from depression, if you have a problem, please reach out to people, please reach out to like, uh, people who will understand you, not who will give you suggestions and, you know, solutions, just reach out to people who will understand and be with you. Okay. So anyway, so, uh, so these dark times were, were, were an external stimuli. It wasn't, it wasn't something internal that I could cope with. Okay. And, uh, The thing is, the the power of the the symbol of Christ, right? Uh, It's this is my this is my kind of an interpretation. I'm not sure if if it's accurate from a Christian theological point of view, but uh, the whole point of Christ coming down to earth uh, through the agency of God, okay, Uh, him taking on this act of taking on uh, of of embodying a mortal soul with limited time knowing fully well that he's going to go through suffering just to sort of help others out of compassion and sort of become a symbol and a message in himself in himself. That's why the blood of Christ, you know, the the whole physicality of Christ is so important in Christian theology. That is uh, that from an individualistic point of view, it's actually quite it's it's quite inspiring for me. It's it's very strange. And this, and, and the symbol of the Christ, right, when he when he actually gave himself up in many ways, he's almost like a Socrates, right, he gave himself up willingly, in spite of his followers, you know, pleading with him, telling him like, you know, you don't have to do this, he, he willingly does it. Socrates also was, um, he, had, he had an escape route, but he was basically castigated for influencing youth in the wrong way, immoral influence on the youth, right, through his teachings and stuff. But Socrates chooses to make a sacrifice out of himself. He chooses to be the sacrificial symbol for you know uh, philosophy in many ways. Similarly for Christ, he's, he's this sacrificial lamb, right? He willingly takes on this suffering, he willingly bears his own cross, like he willingly carries the cross which is which he knows is going to be the tool of his crucifixion eventually. He knows he's going to be nailed to it. He knows he's going to be tortured. He still walks with it, bears his burden. And eventually he dies on the cross, right? It's, it's, it's something that is extremely uplifting from an individualistic motivational point of, view. in the sense that you have to bear your own cross. And ultimately, no matter what kind of a situation you're in, you may be in it because of others. You may very well be in it because of you, yourself, you and your stupid actions. But ultimately, if you want to get out of it, you will have to make the first move. You will have to bear your own cross and get it out, get out of your, go through your crucifixion in many ways, and then sort of embody the serpent and come out in a different way.
0: That's the idea of the ego, yeah, also, right? You have to die. Yeah, yeah. The Phoenix yeah, you idea should. that
1: you have to die and then yeah. be reborn. Death and rebirth in many ways, yeah. Every so, every, so every They, has they keep calling they keep calling for the second coming of Christ. That's one of the reasons they keep calling for the second coming of Christ. I'm, i mean, I uh, mean, this may not be accurate if 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 ever we have like the, the huge insane reach where like Christian theologists come in and they're like, are you like you know, have you even internalized anything and stuff like that?
0: Sir, but bravo, it's, it's, bravo, it's extremely sir. powerful. Sir. Yeah, sir,
1: <laughs> but you know, I have, I have actually come to like, look at it in a different light. And it's is another level of respect. Now it's something that I've never understood as much. And I'm pretty sure a lot of Christians don't understand maybe, but then you need a shepherd, right? You, so you have the church, you have all of them to sort of come in. So the larger tenets of love, compassion, brotherhood, it's, it's pretty strong. That's from a communal community point of view, it's pretty strong, which is also great. That's also great from a karmic point of view. But from an, from an individualistic point of view, right, that if you want to get out of a shit, or if you want to do something good in life, or do something good and worthwhile in your life, the nothing, nothing is better than the symbol of uh, the cross for me, in many ways. Like, I could just have a symbol of the cross, boarded up on the wall in front of me, I don't have to look at anything else. I don't have to meditate on anything else, that's powerful enough. With or without Jesus Christ on it, it's not important. Similarly, similarly, you can have the swastik symbol. You can have multiple, multiple symbols. You can look at the, the dancing Shiva. It's insane because there, there is a ton of symbology behind the image of a Shiva dancing on a Pasmara. It's insane. The, like it's, and you can you can look at Alda actually talking about it. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So yeah, symbols. So again, symbols, uh, yeah. wandering. What's her name? Kamia. <laughs> Hinduism <laughs> is safe. Hinduism is safe. Don't worry about that. Everything is safe. We all good, bro. <laughs> we all good, but you go golden. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever floats your boat it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. at the very least.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, for sure. I guess. I mean, yeah, man. There's, there's
1: so much inspiration to be taken from everywhere. So oh, much absolutely, inspiration.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean,
1: this. yeah, you,
0: you've sort of yeah, put me in like, into like a sort of a thinking uh, mode, you know, so to speak, like, I, I actually mm-hmm. want to know sort of go deeper into this whole idea of uh, sim symb- symbology and, and the stories like, and, and uh, I mean,
1: it's just like just one example. Okay. One example, I think uh, Apasmara is a demon who was being killed by Shiva and that symbol. Right. He also represents memory in many ways. He does. Uh, yeah, I think the etymology has something to do with Smaran, right?
0: Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Let's, let's do smaran it. is memory.
1: Smaran yeah. is memory. So after smaran, smaran, let me just one second. I'll just tell you. Uh, etymology. Uh, it's generally translated as ignorance. Hmm. Okay. So uh, meaning, so negation of memory or recollection. So, apasmara is apa is without, I think, or negation. Apa is without, and smaran smara is memory. Smaran is, uh, so without, memory. Memory, yeah. So without without negation of memory. So negation of ignorance. So I mean, there are many ways of looking at it, but it's it's insane. Like Shiva is defeating that, and and then he's also surrounded by this this halo of fire, which also symbolizes infinite and the inf- and the finite together, and he's dancing his cosmic dance of death. Or the destruction right so he's destroying memory so in many ways that is also very analogous to the symbol of Christ for me symbol of the cross for me in the sense that you're reborn because I can again tie it up with the the Nietzschean idea of how memory is the sole reason the downfall of the human mind in the sense that humans are bound to be suffering they're bound to suffer because of memory and that is what uh, separates us from animals right you flog an animal he will forget about it, but we flog us. We will retain that painful memory. We will retain that trauma, and that becomes a source of suffering because we're clinging to that, which is again a very Buddhist, Jaini, Hindu kind do you, of philosophy.
0: Do you think Nietzsche was right about it, though? Uh, animals uh, having no memory, because uh, you know so like, the there sense, was
1: a... To a large extent. To a large extent, of course. To a large extent, of course. What about yes. uh, the experiment, uh, the Pavlov dogs? Uh,
0: is that something based on memory or some something else? I'm picking your brain, right?
1: It's, um, that is, uh, what is it called? That is conditioning, right? Hmm. That is conditioning. So I'm not sure uh, conditioning has anything to do with uh, memory. memory. And I, I mean, when I talk about memory, right, I don't mean uh, g- gross level memory. I'm talking about like situations, people, stuff like that. Like So they, I mean... It's, it's a thought. It's a thought. The fact that we use memories and memories help us cling on to the past. In many ways, it doesn't help us move forward. Yeah. And that's uh, why. I, so you know what I mean. So he if he's killing Apasmara, who's a demon of memory or a demon symbolizing ignorance, that's something to be reborn. always. So it's like symbolizing life and death and the whole cycle and stuff like that. So it's crazy. When you think of it, it's like a whole world. We just go on talking about it.
0: Yeah, man. In fact, uh, there's one last point I would actually want to bring up before we try and see if we can wrap it up. Is uh, I think uh, it was one of these guys before either uh, before uh, Nietzsche was either Schopenhauer or was it Kierkegaard? I don't know. Who had a very similar idea, and I think that's where Nietzsche got the idea from. I think it's Schopenhauer, unless I'm mistaken. It's uh yeah. yeah, he talks about how we are the first animals probably the only animals to have consciousness right and what that does to us is obviously it gives us an imagination and what we can imagine one of the first things we can imagine is death and so we are the only animals who actually know about our own death who know about our own fate because and and and, and i think uh, one of one of jorge Luis borges's lines i think is uh, all animals are immortal because, uh, because they don't have a
1: concept of time, it's have, eternal, right? Everything yeah. for them is eternal, is that what it is?
0: Yeah, they don't have an idea of uh, death. When they're dead, they don't know it. Before that, they're always alive. So, yeah, they're always alive. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's instinct
1: versus it, it, the intellect, right?
0: Yes, so it's a crazy idea. So, when we, and, and going back to Schopenhauer, I think, uh, again, unless I'm mistaken, but yeah, the idea stays the same. It's a very solid idea that we are the first people probably the only species, uh, at least when he wrote it were to understand that we will die. And when, when he says we'll die, that means we want to sort of we're getting so scared of the idea that we want to, we want to be immortal that need for immortality and the understanding that there is a death gives rise to something like an afterlife because we create that afterlife and that afterlife, the way we create it, obviously it has to adhere to the systems that we set on earth, which is your religion. And that is why multiple religions fight with each other. One of the biggest reasons is because if your idea of afterlife is uh, wrong, my idea is wrong as compared to yours, that means I'm not getting an afterlife. If the Islamic idea versus Christian idea, if they're both differing, that means one of them is definitely not getting immortality. Mm. And that's like a basic fundamental existential problem, right? I mean, I mean, the, the, the problem with religion is not just that surface level shit, right? I mean, for you, it's existential because now you're saying that if you are Christian and I'm Muslim, that means one of us is going to live forever. And, uh, I don't want it to be you. So I'm going to kill mm. you. You, you, you can not take my. Yeah. And, and, and that means one of our, one of us is basically having an afterlife who, and who is going to have the afterlife, whoever's system right now on earth is better. Like whoever's system is correct rather, not better, but correct. So I'm gonna try and fight that war with you just to prove that my religion is better than yours. So that I get that temporary uh, you know, like satisfaction that, you know, when I die, I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna live forever, and this fucker is not. So fuck I mean, Same that's, dude. Yeah, that's just it's just mad for me. It's just it's just it's been like it's a idea I heard for the first time, it just baffled me. I was like, Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's the only reason, maybe there are a hundred other reasons for. But this idea just blew me away. I was like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? And yeah. So, I mean,
1: unless you want to... scary. Yeah. It's scary.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's a 30 already. You want so to say well, bye-bye I, to people and... For,
1: uh, wandering Kamiya, man. For Thank you,
0: thank you, thank you.
1: <laughs> wandering I <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: I want to uh, follow you in case you ever watch this video.
0: yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. one of them. Yes. And we're going to agree with everything you say. We're just going to go and like that stuff. Like, oh, sure.
1: Beautiful. Just... You're beautiful. <laughs> You're
0: amazing. You have the universe within you. I think that's one of our posts. You have a universe within you. And uh, the night and the day and everything is within you. Very, 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 very uh, poetic. Oh, God, so <laughs> <else within> you. <laughs> I was coming to that. Very Joseph, Joseph Campbellish. Camp- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So thank Maybe you, she ladies and gentlemen. Be, I don't
1: know. Maybe what? she's a night and Maybe she's enlightened. I don't know. I have to follow her a little more.
0: Fuck yeah, I guess about. I take back my words. She's fantastic. Indian diaspora is amazing. It's the best thing to have ever happened to Indians. Hindu phobia is not going to win. Hindu phobia, yeah. Hindu phobia is real people and uh, everything is everything that Kamya says is real. I, I agree with her. And uh, please accept my friend request. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Thank you very much, people, for tuning in tonight. And uh, that's Sandeep. I'm Akash. We are Culture Minus Sanskar. This is Culture Minus Sanskar Unscripted. Uh, We're going back and we'll be back very soon. Uh, Maybe we'll record one tomorrow, maybe sometime later this week. We also have got a few guests lined up for next two or three weeks. We'll be discussing stuff like uh, India after independence. We want to discuss a bit of Maratha history and a bit of psychedelics if some of our friends uh, agree to it. So thank you very much for tuning in once again. This is Akash and Sandeep signing off. Bye-bye. And I'm going to stop recording.